capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I am your host, Joel Harder. This is another special Between the Seasons episode before we launch Season 2 of the podcast here in just a few weeks. Today on the podcast, we're going to wrap up my conversation with Chris Forbes when I was a guest on the Insight Podcast. The Insight Podcast is a resource from the Oklahoma Baptists. Apart from my work in the Capitol, I'm also a researcher, and I've done a lot of work uh, over the last few years in the realm of technology and human connectedness. I've researched e-mentoring among marketplace leaders, and earlier this year, really when the pandemic first started to make its way into the state of Oklahoma, I partnered with a tech leader to do a statewide case study multi-sector looking at state agencies, private business, nonprofits. And churches. We published the results of the study called Work and Digital Communications During COVID What Will Come Back and What Will Never Return. You can find all of the findings from this statewide case study at digitally connected.com. The findings from the study have a lot of implications for businesses and nonprofits as well as state agencies. But we also look specifically at the impact of the sudden adaptation to digital communications and platforms on churches. And that's really what I discuss with Chris on the podcast. Before we jump back into the second part of this conversation with Chris Forbes, if you have not already, please go ahead and subscribe to The Leaders We Need. On whatever platform where you listen to your podcasts, you can search for The Leaders We Need, subscribe, leave a comment. Tell us what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and also share these episodes if you find something that's really helpful to you. Well, let's jump back into my conversation with Chris Forbes on the Insight Podcast. When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need Are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. In When Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When leaders matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. Now, uh, some things like when speaking of social media, the the uh, the internet's become very important to the local church in this time of COVID. In fact, I'm recording this right now because I'm just kind of making sure that we are taking extra precautions for COVID protocol calls from a, an exposure that I had. Uh, so a lot of a lot of changed because of COVID. And, and you recently did a survey. You led a survey 
of uh, business, government, and faith sector leaders uh, about the impact of technology. Could you talk a little bit about that? I'm, I'm sure I'm doing a terrible job of setting it up, but if you could explain a little bit about your survey and some of your findings. Yeah, and, and I'll also begin because this is very different from what I do at the Capitol and, and in ministry there, but uh, I, my background in research uh, comes from my doctoral work at Southeastern, where I, I did a survey, uh, a nationwide survey of, of e-mentoring in discipleship relationships. And so I've been doing a lot of research around the use of digital tools to actually facilitate this human uh, relationship was so important. And when COVID hit, it was just undeniable that our whole society suddenly uh, adapted and shifted to a whole new way of living and working and communicating and connecting. And so I worked with a, a fellow researcher in the tech world, and we did a, a statewide multi-sector study of you know, private business, uh, state agencies, educational entities, nonprofits, and also churches to really understand what people's experiences were like as we suddenly shifted to remote distributed workforces, to uh, online digital communication tools, to connect and to continue working. And there's been a lot said about the new normal, what's going to come out of this experience. There's been a lot of great thinking about what's going to be forever different and forever changed. And we wanted to, to garner some real data from the state of Oklahoma to understand uh, what those things might actually be. And our goal was to create a data set and to learn from it, but then also to share those, these findings with organizational leaders, business leaders, and pastors, so they could think with a little greater level of sophistication about those things that truly have been disrupted versus those things that may have just been interrupted. And an interruption is a normal operating practice that's been halted due to an emergency, but it will come back. It may take longer than we had thought, but they will come back. And then there are those things that have been disrupted or a normal operating practice that has been halted and it will never come back or it'll be so dramatically changed that when it does come back, it, it doesn't even feel the same. Some of our key findings, I'll just kind of run them down real quick, is that private business was better prepared to shift to digital platforms and distributed workforces than state agencies or, or nonprofits or churches. We found that people, uh, people reported strong levels of connectedness despite the social distancing. We also found that you know, access to quality internet connectivity and broadband connectivity isn't true for everyone. We also found, and this is really important for churches, that people were less connected to their extended family, to social organizations and friends, but also their faith community than they were to their work colleagues or close family. We found 80 plus percent of our respondents said that my sense of connectedness to a work colleague was basically not hindered at all. But 60 to 70% said that my connectedness to the people that I go to church with was completely blocked. And so even though we found overall that people had a positive experience and were able to work and connect and thrive, 
there was an area of struggle when it came to uh, faith community and to churches. We wanted to dig into that a little bit and understand. And so we did some specific questions just for churches to try and find out what was the experience in, in church life and ministry. And are there some techniques, some ways to lean into the technology that can actually help people connect? Because when all you're doing is connecting with work colleagues and the job, and you're not really connecting to other spheres of your relationships, that's going to take a toll. That's not healthy. And churches are actually extraordinarily positioned to provide people the kind of balance they need, the kind of relationships that can give them a respite from work, that can connect them to the accountability, prayer, relationships, the partnership in the gospel that Paul writes about that people need. And so we wanted to really dig into why do people struggle to connect with church and what are some, some ways that pastors and ministry leaders can lean into the technology to help people connect? Yeah, so uh, I like how uh, you said that churches, churches got up to speed really quick on the use of the technology, but businesses were better prepared. That's the part I don't like. They were better prepared because they are used to using uh, internet and stuff for commerce and meetings and stuff like that. But the churches made a great stride, but there were some uh, things that churches, uh, you know, th though they leveraged the technology, they didn't fully leverage the uh, uh, the best best of how to use it. What are some What are some ways you see that uh, churches could improve since they're almost all using technology now, which is amazing. It's like right. when I first started, yeah, they were scared of blogging was a four letter word, you know, so yeah. um, uh, I guess it still is technically, but you know what I mean. But um, what, what are some things that the churches can do to uh, take better advantage of the technology available to them? And to be fair, you know, it could be that one of the reasons that businesses were better prepared, is, as you said, they were simply just already using these platforms at a greater level. And so churches and nonprofits and, and other state agencies, public sector, they just had a greater level of adaptation that they had to, that they had to go through. It, it also could simply be that people kind of triage their life. When this happened, it was, a, you know, it was an emergency situation. And so they just focused on those relationships that really seemed most important, namely your livelihood, your job. And after Zoom call, after Zoom call, all day long, all week long, you're just burned out and there's fatigue. And I, I don't, I don't want to get on another Zoom call for Sunday school. And so to be fair, um, there's, there's probably some other contributing reasons to this, but we need to remember, and the encouragement is, overall, the experience was positive. And probably one of the most important data point to remember, it, we asked all of our respondents across sectors, post-COVID, what is your remote work, work from home preference? And we gave them a lot of options, full-time, never again, 15 flex days I can use whenever. And the largest majority, almost half of our respondents across all sectors said, I want to work from home two to three days per week. So that is signifying a permanent change and the way in which people are living and working. The encouragement to churches is that this way of 
communicating, of working, of living is not going away. And so there are really helpful techniques and ways to use the technology well, ways to use technology that is becoming, quite frankly, much more commonplace for your people anyway. One of the most significant findings we, we did uh, generate in this study, we did a series of, of regression analysis, correlation studies, where we looked at real-time interaction. As real-time interaction uh, increased, um, the sense of connectedness increased. And we found nine points of statistically significant correlations that as real-time interaction goes up, people feel more connected, including to their faith community. And I'll just real quickly define real-time interaction. Digital communication can either be synchronous or asynchronous. And asynchronous is text messaging, emailing, uh, you know, message boarding, social media. This is where you can communicate uh, and, and the communication can happen across a period of time. And that's really good and helpful. If, if a boss texts you and says, hey, what's the numbers on, on, the, on this proposal that we're about to make? You don't have to respond in the moment. You, know, you can do the research you need to do. You can make sure that when you do respond, you have better information. And that way, asynchronous communication is more efficient, more effective, more powerful. But synchronous communication or real-time interaction, this is, think of a video conference, what you and I are doing right now. Uh, or a phone call even. This is interaction that has a more candid quality of exchange where you are able to pick up on the verbal and nonverbal cues. And what happens is when you have that real-time interaction, that more candid communication, it may not be as effective or, or efficient. You may have to say, hey, I'm gonna have to get back to you on that. But you're able to pick up on those relational things, verbal, nonverbal cues, and the sense of connectedness grows. And so I'll give a great example, a real quick technique. And this is one of the areas where I think churches did really excel in adapting to uh, digital platforms. You see a lot of content going online. You see a lot of things, you know, churches are streaming their services. I saw pastors streaming their midweek Bible studies from their living rooms. And the amount of Bible teaching and just wisdom coming from pastors all across our country just exploded onto the internet. Um, but that communication, even though it's getting the content out there, it gives people an opportunity to participate and, and tune in. It is what I, I really call content pushing. Uh, you're, you're providing that content, whether it's in your services, even if it's in a Sunday school class. And you know, one of the things we found is that despite the use of Zoom, which is an incredible tool, a large majority of small groups, even though they had access to Zoom, stopped meeting altogether. And, and so even though we have the tools there, uh, the small group strategy, which is such an important part of most church ministries, struggled. Here's the technique. I call it embracing the grid view. And if you've ever been on a Zoom call, you know what the grid view is. If you're on a Zoom call and you're having your Sunday school class, and if you switch to grid view, you can tell almost immediately whether you're doing real-time interaction or not. Because if you switch to grid view and you notice that the number of people that are participating uh, is so large that the thumbnail icons are, are so small you can't really see people's faces or you got to swipe screens to see who else there or you say 
I didn't even know that person was on there. Well, even though you're in a Zoom call and people can technically engage and it's actually live, it's really still a form of content pushing. And that's good. And I still think you should do that and let your, your Sunday school teachers who prepared lessons teach. But if you switch to grid view and the number of people participating is such that you've just got you know three or four boxes up on your screen and you can see how everybody's responding or interacting in real time, now you're doing that kind of real-time interaction that the data is showing promotes a sense of connectedness. And so a, a strategy, a technique for pastors and ministry leaders is don't abandon your small group strategy. It's a good strategy. But now equip and raise up other leaders. Say you've got a Sunday school class of 20. Find six or eight, and I call them real-time interaction leaders. You can call them whatever you want. I always said that the worst part of pastoral ministry is naming Sunday school classes. Or what do you call different you know, leadership levels? Just identify six or eight people in that class who will take the charge and, and let your Sunday school teacher teach their lesson. But as quickly as you can, get into breakout groups of three or four and let that time be spent, you know, discussing the lesson, talking about the scripture, sharing prayer requests, praying for each other. That is a technique where you're using the technology and you're actually promoting that kind of real-time interaction that the data is showing will promote a greater sense of connectedness now to your faith community. That's, that's an example that this is, that's just one. And I actually have a companion resource to the study called Using Tech to Connect. And we give six different techniques and uh, pro hacks and tips and pitfalls to avoid to help ministry leaders to do this. Man, this is amazing stuff. What, uh, how can people get the survey and uh, the other resources? Are they on the website somewhere? Yeah, so if you go to digitally-connected.com, you can download the full uh, the full study there, and you can see all of our key findings with with you know data visualizations and graphs, and you can see kind of what we found in the statewide case study, uh, and then you can also find the the tool using Tech to Connect uh, on digitally-connected.com. All right. Also, I assume people can get in touch with you through that site. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. There's a contact form there. Yeah. If they have any questions or or you know, want to apply it more or have you come out and share or something. Absolutely. And I would love to do that. I'd love to help, help churches in their context, think through their ministry strategies. It's not about, it's not about abandoning what you're doing and switching to something new. It's about incorporating these tools into your approach. But just not on Sunday because you're going to be at First Baptist Bethany for a while. <laughs> That's hey, right. Um, we uh, covered a lot of territory today. I, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, plug a little bit on the uh, the governor's prayer breakfast. Uh, and I know that we, we're, we're running short on time, but if you could kind of give us a brief overview and how the people can find out about it. Right. Well, the, the governor's prayer breakfast has been a remarkable thing to launch in the state of Oklahoma. And there's a few things that really make the Oklahoma governor's prayer breakfast unique in this realm of governmental prayer breakfasts. And, and we've already talked a little bit about it, but it's going back to that first Timothy principle of prayer. And, you know, we're living at a time, Chris, when it seems as though every day we're inventing new ways to divide ourselves. 
And in such an, an environment as this, we are wise to look to those things that cross those boundaries, those, those things that really are a shared experience that people of all sorts of backgrounds uh, can, can have together. And prayer is one of those things. You know, not everybody prays. Uh, and we all come from different backgrounds and traditions and, and manners in which we pray. But anyone can pray. And in that way, we have seen prayer to be one of those things that really does unite people. And we had the very first Governor's Prayer Breakfast in, in Oklahoma uh, this past February. And we saw the power of prayer, uh, again, just simply following that First Timothy principle, bring such a diversity of Oklahomans together. The Oklahoman newspaper reported it was the largest, most inclusive prayer gathering in the state. We had members of uh, the majority of the legislature, the executive branch, members of the federal delegation, the judiciary uh, from both parties come together and desire good for each other, uh, for the leadership of Oklahoma, praying for our leaders before the legislative session. We hold the prayer breakfast in February, the Tuesday after President's Day. So it's early in the legislative session. So we can pray for them really as they're just getting started with that work. And we saw that narrative of how divided we are sort of fall apart. And so the governor's prayer breakfast is, is an opportunity for Oklahomans across the state to come together. And one of the things that makes the prayer breakfast in Oklahoma so unique is we have an intentional host site strategy where ministerial alliances, local churches, uh, just, you know, private businesses, organizations, and, and different communities will come together and they will host their own gathering and they'll participate in the live event via live stream. And, and they will be able to bring this, this event that unites Oklahomans in prayer to their community. We had over 40 host sites last year. Our plan is to have 80 or more host sites this year with a goal to be in every county. Uh, with COVID, we've also created new this year, the opportunity for you to, to participate privately. You can register and, and be able to participate in the live stream uh, privately. And this is intended for individuals or families in their homes. Because we recognize that you know, we're communicating and talking about an event now that's going to be taking place in February when we don't quite know what the conditions will be. Uh, and so we want to be as, as prepared as we can to be able to fulfill this mission of bringing Oklahomans together to pray, whatever the conditions re regarding COVID may be. And so we will have a prayer gathering on February 16th, uh, 2021. Uh, our, our plan right now is to be about 40% capacity at the uh, National Cowboy um, a museum and, and, and Western Heritage uh, Museum, uh, about 40% capacity there and host sites across the state and private you know, residences can participate. Um, if it is such that we just simply can't have a gathering of really any size on that date, we're gonna switch to a completely virtual event on February 16th and then reschedule the full prayer breakfast uh, for a later date really excited. We're bringing in Bob Goff as our keynote speaker this year. Uh, 
Uh, and, and you can find all of the information about the Oklahoma Governor's Prayer Breakfast. Uh, we create prayer tools uh, that's associated with each prayer breakfast that are freely available to churches and prayer ministries all year round. Those are all posted on the website, prayforoklahoma.com. That's pray, F-O-R, Oklahoma.com. You can, you can see all those uh, prayer tools. You can watch all of the prayer breakfast from this past year, and you can find out information and register today uh, for the governor's prayer breakfast in 2021. Uh, and obviously with a reduced capacity, um, there's limited seating available for the, for the prayer breakfast itself. Um, but we really are excited about the host site model and strategy. And so I wanna encourage people to register now and, and get ready uh, for the, the prayer breakfast. If, you, if your church would like to host a host site, know that uh, you can do that and be planning for that. And if we do switch to a completely virtual event, anybody who signs up for your host site will get access to the virtual event You know, if we have to postpone, and then you'll be able to host the full prayer breakfast at the rescheduled date. Uh, so go ahead and, and check us out and see what's happening. It really, it really is a, a unique and different um, uh, prayer breakfast in this in this realm of governmental prayer breakfasts, and it's so so exciting to see what the Lord's doing through it. Wow! Thank you. Uh, that sounds like a good event, and I'm looking forward to hopefully, uh, prayerfully, the Lord will allow uh, that event to take place in person. Um, and we're hoping that we'll be rounding the uh, seeing some light in the tunnel on on our COVID. In the, in the spring, Lord willing. Well, uh, this has been a good time. I appreciate you joining us for these podcasts. And I, I just want to say thank you for uh, your time and all the effort you put into helping equip pastors with this information. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.